You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Megna Method Podcast, and I am very fortunate to sit down with Mrs. Lexi Moulet. She is a master's level clinician, and she works at the Oliver Pyatt Centers. Yes, sir. And I am very excited about having her on the show. And the reason I'm so excited about having her on the show is because I am in fitness and wellness, and we deal with people that are fitness crazed, focused, fitness fanatics, obsessed with nutrition, the way they look. Their bodies and their obsessions and bodies and focus and discipline often crosses over to a challenging side of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And this is your skill set. This is where you work. And please tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and how you came to be working in this field. Because I have a million questions I want to ask you and I want to get to it. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, well, like you said, my name is Lexi Moulet. I born and raised in New York. I come from a family of a wonderful mother, fantastic father, and a sister. Um, you know, I went through undergrad at the lovely Hofstra University, and there I majored in psychology. And then from there, I went to the U, which I love, University awesome. of Miami, and I got my master's in mental health counseling. And so from there, I was actually working with kids for a little while. Um, uh, it actually happened that I randomly got a suggestion to take this job at Oliver Pyatt Centers, which is, uh, you know, I'll get to that in a little bit. But essentially, my um, supervisor said, hey, look, there's a job opening at this place. They treat eating disorders. Are you interested? And I thought, sure. I mean, I don't have a job out of school, so definitely. Right. Um, and I took it, and much to my surprise, I fell in love with the population. Okay. Um, I've been working with them for three years now, and it's something that I look to continue to work my practice in. Understood. Understood. And the individuals that you see in a day-in-a-day-out basis are people who are struggling with anorexia, bulimia, uh, what other type of disorders? Yeah, so we treat people with anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, uh, binge eating disorder. Um, there's also exercise addition. It, oh, I'm sorry, can we take that again? Dysmorphia? Yeah, body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia, the exercise. Or exercise addiction. Addiction? That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I may fall into that category. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. But we also treat um, what's called co occurring disorders, which is kind of disorders that occur in conjunction with the eating disorder. So something like that might be a mood disorder. So you see a lot of bipolar disorder, um, you know, sometimes schizophrenia, a lot of personality disorders come up often. Okay, let's do some different, uh, the people listening um, are fitness fanatics. They're, mm-hmm. they're focused, they're training, they're hardcore, they're, you know, uh, this is gonna be a very popular podcast because we have a lot of people who really eat in a structured way and then they may limit themselves to calorie restriction, they don't mm-hmm. eat intermittent fasting, all these things that, you know, there's a very fine line between what's healthy and what's not. Right. And I think this is going to be a huge educational piece, for including myself. Oh, thank you. I um, hope so. Absolutely. So let's 
give us the best uh, definitions you can for a few of these. Okay. Bulimia. Okay, so bulimia. I mean, I'm not going to give you the exact criteria course, that would be in the course. DSM, but I'll try my best. Of course. Um, bulimia is essentially an eating disorder um, where somebody who, while they're eating, they have they're overcome with the fear of the weight gain. Um, not only does it include just the restriction, which is something that anorexics do, but it also includes the purging of the food. So purging can be, you know, it can look like anything from purging through vomiting. It can also look like purging through exercise or laxatives. Um, there's multiple ways to do it and people get creative with it. So, um, that is what bulimia essentially is. And like I said, it's characterized with a lot of anxiety around the weight gain, um, a lot of guilt and shame. Sometimes with bulimia comes the binge purge. A binge is where you essentially dissociate and you, um, you're not really connected with your body and you're eating a large quantities of food without really being aware of okay. what's happening. Okay. Anorexia. Anorexia. So anorexia is essentially maintaining an extremely low body weight, being malnourished. Um, it's somebody who is extremely fearful of gaining weight, um, lives a very restrictive and eats a very restrictive diet. Um, and in addition to that, a lot of the time people who suffer from anorexia, they have amenorrhea, which is where they don't get their period for a long time. Okay. So that's a lot of the women. Right. Um, but men also suffer from anorexia as well. Which is also uh, frequent in people who uh, uh, partake in excessive exercise, correct? Like yes. cross-country runners, female mm-hmm. cross-country runners who are very low and light in weight. Yep. They restrict calories to be light for the long runs, and they yes. suffer the same thing. Exactly. Okay. So... Um, Ex- exercise, how did you say it? Exercise addiction. Please. Addiction. Please. I keep saying that funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so exercise addiction would just essentially be, again, we want to see the same theme of fear of weight gain, right? That's kind of across the board here. Um, so you have a large meal, you go out and exercise for three hours. Yeah. I mean, it depends. It has to be more of a pattern. It's not like a case-by-case situation. It's more like if you... So we have girls often come in who exercise on no food and no hydration for up to six hours a day. Um, it sounds like intermittent fasting. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty intense. And right. I mean, you being as well educated as you are on the body and the mind and, and fitness, you know that exercising not on a fueled body is incredibly dangerous. But for our girls, that's often, that's the lifestyle. You know, what happens is there's an, there's an attention for everything. And what we hear often is, well, hey, Mark, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do cardio in a, in a fasted state. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand that that is a tool used for world-class professionals mm-hmm. to get low body fat. So they can go on stage for 15 minutes right. and give a specific look. Look their best. Yeah, to do that every single day. It's probably not a healthy practice. No. No. Not so you're, you're already depleted. You know, you need to. And it's, there's a lot of science that says you don't need to eat as soon as, soon as you get up. However, it depends what your intention is. Yeah. Right? You have to be very careful and understand what that means. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what are the others that... Uh, the other things we need to define before we move on. Yeah, sure. So we talked a little bit about the anorexia, uh, the bulimia, um, the exercise addiction. Mm -hmm. And then we also talked a little bit about, or I'm going to tell you about binge eating disorder. So um, binge eating disorder is essentially, you don't, it's not necessarily, doesn't have restrictive components to it. Um, It doesn't have the purging aspect to it like bulimia does. Binge eating disorder is essentially having um, 
episodes of when you binge. And that's, like I said, having large quantities of food, being kind of disconnected with your body. Um, it often is followed by insane amounts of gain, uh, shame and guilt. And, okay. uh, yeah. Okay. Um, are there any other ones we should define before we move on? Or that pretty much covers it. In the eating disorder realm? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Those are the four major players. And do you deal with any of the behaviorals, like the bipolars? Mm-hmm. And yeah. bipolar is classified as... Bipolar is classified as, um, I mean, well, there's bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. And so bipolar 1 is a little bit more um, of the classic manic and depressive episodes. So, you know, it comes in waves. Obviously, someone is kind of high up. That would be what's called a manic episode. Um, and they experience uh, kind of like this grandiosity uh, feeling. Euphoria. Unstoppable. Yeah, euphoria. It sounds like the playing in the zone in sports. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Limitless? Oh yeah, right with Bradley Cooper, who oh, I course, love. Of course, yeah. He uh, that's kind of like a, it's like a, he's on a mania because he's taking that drug and he's just really high. He doesn't need sleep. Um, followed by the crash. Followed by the crash, which is then usually categorized as a depressive episode, which is all the things that you would think a depressive episode would be: lots of sleep, mm-hmm. lots of sadness, um, loss of appetite, sometimes gain of appetite. And this can be found with someone who. I'm just thinking in the realm of exercise, you have a great workout, you feel incredible, you're high on life, you feel amazing, but when you come down, yeah. i got to get back, so I need to exercise even harder. Exactly. And then I figure people who are taking any upper, uh, alcohol is an upper, correct? Or am I wrong? I think you're right. No, I think alcohol is an upper. I think so. I believe so. Well, let's say if it's not alcohol or a drug that brings you up, followed by the depressed state. Yeah. Also, I have clients, <coughs> excuse me that really feel that they need to take excessive amounts of Adderall. Oh, wow, and yeah. And they feel amazing. They are clear, they are focused, but alcohol yeah. is a, uh, excuse me, Adderall is a narcotic. Yeah. And then when you come down off Adderall, what goes up must come down. And when Absolutely. you come down, they're in the bedroom for three days. Yeah, that's what it looks like so sometimes. it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And Adderall, too, is, is very popular, especially within the eating disorder community. I mean, it's a large appetite suppressant. Right. So you take that and you can get a lot done mm-hmm. on little fuel. So it's really, it's appealing to the girls who and men who struggle with these things. Isn't it true, like, I mean, this may be optimal for some people, mm-hmm. but isn't it true that Adderall also eats muscle? Ooh, that that's a good question. I'm not sure about that. Okay. You might know more about that than I do. I've been told that in the past, and uh, that's obviously every muscle head's fear of taking Adderall. That it eats muscle? It eats muscle, but however, if someone wants to... Maybe a female mm-hmm. or a man who just wants to be skinny or smaller. Mm-hmm. This might be optimal for him. Oh yeah. You know? And they're like, well, you know, they hear that. Mm-hmm. Some of our listeners might think, well, that's perfect for me. I want to get rid of as much muscle as possible. Yeah. The less muscle I have, the less Drop less away. Weight. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, some people are looking. Not everyone wants to be uh, put on muscle or mm-hmm. you know be a uh, jacked up guy. Some people want to be smaller. Yeah. And skinny is the look they are looking for. Yeah. It's not my uh, thought or what I'm going to uh, find attractive. My wife knows that. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, she is very fit and I love the way she looks. But, mm-hmm. you know, so everyone has a different version of their optimal look. Absolutely. So now let's talk a little bit about where you work. Oh, yeah. And, and what you're dealing with uh, each and every day. Okay. Let's talk about it. So, as you said, I work for a place called Oliver Pyatt Centers. It is a wonderful, comprehensive treatment center for women with eating disorders. We also treat adolescents, too, and that's a program called Clementine. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, 
But essentially what we do is we offer highly individualized treatment plans for all of our clients. Um, we do specialize in treating women, but um, you know, that might change at some point. Who knows? I know mm -hmm. that men suffer with this as well. It's not exclusive to women. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what we do is we have round the clock uh, nutritional, medical, psychiatric, clinical care. Um, like I told you before, we treat also the co-occurring disorders and that can look like trauma which a lot of our girls suffer with. Um, it can look like mood disorders, personality disorders. Uh, yeah, there's a lot that comes with it. And mm. every day is different. Every day is kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's never a dull moment there. And do you have long-term clients there? Like, Didn't you mention that there's a, there's a house there, correct? Right. So there's, in most treatment centers, there's something that's called, so there's residential care. And that's where the girls come and they stay. Um, it's something like you would think of like a rehab, right? Okay. So they go, they stay for a few months and they have living facility and Oliver Pius centers has gorgeous facilities. It's decorated by an amazing designer. Um, and it's really beautiful. It's kind of like one of those like very serene okay. places, lots of flowers and patterns, right, which right. is very pretty, but, nice. um, they stay there, but then they move down to the next level of care when they're ready for that. And that's called partial hospitalization program. And that's when they come in during the day. And they do the programming either five days a week, seven days a week, whatever they choose. And um, they go home at night. And that's kind of like their way of practicing the skills that they've been learning at residential. Okay. And then one step lower than that is the, it's called IOP. And that mm -hmm. is intensive outpatient programming. And that's basically if you or I to go to, uh, a, you know, a therapeutic session three days a week. Okay. You know, so we go to programming, we hang out, we have meals with them. It's either dinner or lunch. Um, but it's a lot, it's a lot less intensive than the residential programming is. Okay. But a lot of our girls need that. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and is there any way we could, um, the majority of the people that you see, are they male, female, 50-50? Mm -hmm. How do we, can we, can we categorize them more yeah. or less or, or whittle it down to this type of individual? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough, Mark. I think that we do see mostly women. Okay. Um, like I said, I, I think that it's not exclusive to just women. Men okay. definitely struggle with body image, with uh, eating, you know, disordered eating. At times, I think more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I know many people, many men in my life who struggle big time around what their body looks like and, you know, making peace with that. And yeah. that's really hard for them. Um, but mostly a lot of the time we see women who are in their early 20s mostly in college, mostly right out of college, um, yeah, who are struggling with this. And mostly, uh, is it weight, look, appearance? I mean, I'm, I've grown up in fitness and gyms with athletes and sports, mm -hmm. and I'll just tell you, doing a set in the gym and your workout and then getting up every single set and looking in the mirror, looking at your shoulders, looking at your arms, looking at your... <laughs> your abs or your wannabe six-pack, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a disorder. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then you do it nonstop. Yep. I mean, it's it's eating away like 90% of your time. Mm -hmm. It's probably a disorder. It's taking away from your quality of life. That's It's funny you say that, Mark, because before we were talking a little bit about, you know, what makes a disorder right. a disorder, right? right. And, and to me, I think that on some level, many people have what's called disordered eating. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're... If you had a big meal and you're mm. feeling kind of 
bloated or something and you right. decide to not have something the next day or not eat as much, that's technically restricting, right? So of that's, course. And everyone does these things. It happens to everybody, but you wouldn't necessarily call that an eating disorder, right? Mm-hmm. I think what makes it a disorder is when, like you just said, when it eats away at your life, when mm-hmm. it starts to become um, an intricate part of your life that disrupts everything else around right. it. So a lot of the time with our clients, we see girls who... They can't make it to class. They can't. They can't go to family functions. They can't socialize. Can't go out to eat. Can't, to eat. can't socialize. Yeah. And their their social life suffer, and their relationships suffer, mm. and their academics do too. And so yeah. that's when it becomes a problem. Is when it's bigger than them, and they can't get away from it. Right. And I think that we're going to get into a few, uh, uh, you know, trendy diets or nutrition mm. uh, habits of. of people that I, I that I know mm-hmm. and you know I, I just genuinely concerned about them but um, you know if someone says you know I, I can't go to that restaurant because I don't know what they're gonna have or you know I don't I don't want to put myself in that situation a lot of the times I think as you said what makes it a disorder it may be a disorder but that doesn't mean you're not managing it the, that uh, very similar on par with a functioning alcoholic Absolutely. So this person, they they have a disorder, but they've learned to make it a lifestyle. Yeah, functioning eating disorder. Yeah, that's still a disorder. Same thing. And you know, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please, please, please. I was going to say that, you know, it's a lot of our, a lot of the people that we see, a lot of people that I see are very successful people and successful mothers, successful business people, um, people who are top of their class at Harvard. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a lot of women who are just really amazing and, but it's that, it's that tenacity that they've now carried over into the detrimental area right. that has gotten to them in the spot that yeah. they're in. And being good at one thing makes you yeah. good at another. Meaning, like it's the, like the guy who happens to be very good at sports, but he's also the best quote unquote drinker. Yes, he exactly. He wants to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't realize it's probably not optimal to be the best drinker. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, I just see so many people that have great discipline and they're just so focused and obsessed with achieving their goals mm-hmm. but they're also incredibly obsessed with following this pattern schedule that doesn't really present yeah. great uh, uh, scenario or set of circumstances to have a wonderful healthy life absolutely um, and those great qualities can be so amazing in certain areas oh yeah like in achieving whatever your goals might be but if it's put in the wrong hands in the wrong mm-hmm. area it could be detrimental oh yeah so first are you familiar with like the cal uh living with a caloric restriction or calorie restriction dieting now this is said to be one of the best possible things for overall health and longevity okay now i think that calorie restriction means eating short just a bit shy under your required needs yeah not 500 calories a day not a thousand <laughs> calories a day which is right. below your rmr right yeah. resting metabolic rate yeah so can you speak to that yeah i think that you know looking at the calories on packages and whatever you eat i don't think that that necessarily means that there's a disorder there okay but you just said it perfectly mark you said that it's not necessarily having 500 calories because right. it kind of gets to that extreme and i don't think that it it gets there overnight i think that a lot of the time when you know a lot of the people that 
struggle with the eating disorder start slow. Mm -hmm. And they start slow, like, okay, maybe let me not have this particular thing because it's higher calories, let me have the lower calorie thing, right? And then it kind of just progresses and it takes a life of its own. And sometime in the next few years, months, whatever it might be, they are now limiting and restricting their calorie intake a day to something like, I've, I've heard 200, 300. Oh, yeah. 400. Well, just, you know, if you know anything about the uh, HCG diet. I've I'm heard sure of it, know. yeah. Well, the HCG is basically putting a hormone in your mm-hmm. body, I believe, that helps you use fat as fuel. Okay. And, uh, listen, I might not be getting this right, listeners, but <laughs> you're giving yourself an injection to help you use fat as fuel. I know that. But you're on a... And then you see you lose tons of weight. Oh, wow. I think the reason you lose tons of weight... Because what's accompanied with that HCG shot Mm -hmm. daily is a diet of 500 calories a day. Wow. So I had a friend on it who was 230 pounds. He got down to 177 pounds, and he said he felt amazing. I can't believe I lost all the weight. His name was Joey. I said, Joey, you lost all the weight because you ate 500 calories a day. Yeah. I don't know if the shot did anything for you. I I mean, you could have died. Yeah. I wonder how good he was feeling while he was right. doing that right. diet. He said he actually worked out and he said he felt amazing, but I think he was just on a high because he yeah. was losing weight so rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I believe that. Are you familiar with uh, intermittent fasting? I mean, I can gather from the name, but right. I mean, I'm, I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> Excuse me. I have a bit of a cough, tickle in my throat. Excuse me, listeners. Intermittent fasting is when you only eat fuel yourself feed in either a six or i've heard eight hour window of the day so oh. 16 hours of the day you're not eating okay or a four hour window or a six hour window mm-hmm. you allow yourself to eat and you know the intention of the plan is not to gorge yourself in those four or six or eight hours okay it's to still eat healthy but you just pack the rest of your calories within that window mm-hmm. and your body's pretty much fasting the rest of the time oh, yeah so, you know, I know a lot of people that do this and they've lost a lot of weight, but my only concern or thought on that, knowing very little, um, <laughs> is, is it sustainable? Is it a lifestyle? Because I don't know if it's a lifestyle if you're going to go to a lunch or a dinner, you can't go to breakfast, you can't eat anything, can't put anything in your body. I do know something about hormones. Mm-hmm. And when your body's not being fueled, the hormones tend to go up and down. And when the hormones go up and down, emotions go up and down, blood sugar goes up and down, and then mm-hmm. your behavior could go up and down. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? So I definitely have heard of what you're talking about. And what, what's it called again? It's called the... Intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. Okay. So I got to be... I'm going to be super direct with you. You asked me if it's sustainable, and I'm just going to go ahead and say no. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't think it is. Right. And, I'll tell you why. You know, something that we practice and we preach is something that's called intuitive eating. And that is the idea that if you become more attuned to your um, body's natural hunger fullness cues, that you'll be able to maintain and sustain a healthy weight. And so, you know, sometimes when you have this intermittent fasting, I think that's kind of what happens when girls start to set up and become, it, it sets you up for a binge. Essentially, you you said you don't want to gorge yourself during those times, but in those moments where you can only eat, uh, let's say if you're doing every eight hours, what that's maybe like three times a day. Right. So during those times, your body is going to be so overwhelmed with the fact that, okay, now I can have food. And for some people, it might be difficult to 
to navigate yourself during that situation and keep it under a certain amount of calories right. or eat appropriately. Right. Um, so I think it's 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 actually dangerous. I think can, it can be if you right. don't manage it appropriately. Some people are not only doing the intermittent fasting and doing the um, eating within a certain time frame, but they're also doing a low carb diet associated with their intermittent mm. fasting. Okay, so the time mm. that they eat is low carb. Low carb, no sugar. Yeah. It's like. Look, we're, I feel like we're practicing to be Christian Bale and the machinist. And I'm, not, I'm not even trying to sound <laughs> funny, funny. But people think that's great health. How can we... Let's not just be one-sided. Let's look at the pros. Let's, let's look at the cons. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What's good that comes from that is, look, they're practicing discipline. But the bad thing, I think, is, you know, number one, it's not sustainable. Number two, you're probably not meeting your body's overall needs. Yeah. And what can you add to that? Yeah, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I, you know, I I don't think it's sustainable. I understand why people do it. You know, I, I can definitely reason with people who are trying to get healthy and, and live a healthy lifestyle. Um, but the way I look at it is that your body is kind of like a car. Your body is your vehicle. And you need to keep gas in that vehicle. And that's our fuel. Food is fuel. And... It's cool because, you know, food isn't only only fuel, but it can be fun and exciting and to share with others. But at the baseline, it is fuel and you need to give your body what it needs when it's asking for it. Hydrate it and otherwise it won't function properly. And what are some of the, um, let's talk about, hit on some of the things that may happen. What are some of the negative effects of not giving your body what it needs? I'm a health oh, professional. Yeah. I could make some pretty great guesses. Yeah, I'm sure but, you know. But, mm-hmm. And I've seen it, but... What happens to someone who's not meeting their needs? Oh, well, there's so many. I mean, short term, we can say, you know, dehydration, dizziness, um, comprehension, loss, and cognitive function. Cognitive function completely. That's more of like a long term thing, but definitely um, osteopenia, osteoporosis, where your bones get brittle and they're easily breakable. Um, damage, damage to the metabolism? Absolutely damage to the metabolism, damage to the liver, damage to the. Um, What's it called? Uh, kidneys. Kidneys, yeah. There's a lot of just damage, honestly, in every part, muscles. And here's the next question is the damage to the metabolism. Because let's face it, all these things are being done to try to increase the metabolism, right? Exactly. Now, you're doing that to increase the metabolism, which you actually may do short term. However, long term, mm-hmm. you're going to slow down the metabolism. When you do slow down the metas- metabolism, excuse me, is it possible to reverse mm-hmm. that damage? You're asking. Is yeah, it I'm asking. Yeah, I think that it is. I think that it depends on every person and, and the longevity of their eating disorder and what that looks like. Age. And the severity, yeah, right. and the age of the client. Um, but I think it's reversible. But I think that when you first start you know, integrating food back into your diet, when you start really eating and getting back on track, that your body is so used to whatever behavior is not um, you've been engaging in that it's seeing food for the first time in a long time or maintaining the food for the first time in a long time. And it's kind of going to freak out a little bit. I'm sure. And your body needs that time to really comprehend and understand what's going on. It, it, the body is literally an amazing thing. And it, it, it's a tool and it's a survival tool. Right. And it knows, it picks up patterns. It knows when you're going <coughs> to either not feed it or feed it. Right. And when you've not been feeding it for a long time, it'll well, pick up on anything. You know, just a uh, quick story. Any... You know, I work with uh, fitness, wellness, and 
bodybuilders, people who compete, people who get on stage. You know, in the off season, I know a professional bodybuilder that I won't, you know, mention his name, but all bodybuilders do what I'm about to discuss. Mm-hmm. Let's say they weigh 280. For the show, they get down to 240, 230. Oh. At 230, they get on stage. They look incredible, incredible shape. They have a lot of muscle. They're ripped. Mm-hmm. They After their show, after they get off stage, they win, they lose, whatever. They go out, and they have a huge meal. Yeah. And that huge meal, I'm not talking about gaining two, three, four pounds. Hmm. I've seen bodybuilders gain 20 to 25 pounds overnight. In a meal or two meals or um, something. A couple meals. I mean, just over a few hours. If they get off stage at 9, 10 o'clock at night, one day, they're up 20, 25 pounds. Wow. That is not normal. No, that's not normal. And it's not normal to repeat. Your body shouldn't, can't handle that. Right. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then they wonder why these individuals have heart attacks. Yeah. Your you know your body weight's like strapping on a you know twenty five pound weight vest and try walking around with that and you didn't have it the day before. Yeah, right. So Absolutely. when you're working with individuals and you're trying to educate them, <clears throat> um, can you tell us some stories and you know the a person that came in to work with an individual and how you progressed them? Let's talk about some of the protocols and some of the systems that you use to try to work with people that have these disorders. Yeah, absolutely. So like I told you before, we have, it's kind of like an all-inclusive place, right? We have, we have the nursing, medical care, psychiatric care. We have clinical, which is, you know, what's on my end here, um, nutritional care. And we do a lot of other stuff too. We have them girls do like exposure therapy if they need it. There's a lot of different components What's exposure therapy? So exposure therapy would essentially be for our women who are scared of maybe something in particular that really increases their anxiety. So let's say, for example... Um, one of one of my clients is very scared of, let's say, McDonald's. And, and that's fair. A lot of the women who struggle with this are very fearful of that kind of food right. because it's kind of in the culture of being what's called bad food. And I'm doing quotey signs because there, it's, we're taught there's no good, there's no bad. There's, right. Food is food, right? right. Um, and so exposure therapy would essentially ex- do exactly that, expose them to it little by little and become a little bit less des- desensitized right. to that anxiety. It's, it's more of a kind of they call it a hierarchy a ladder right. you start with little steps little steps and then you get to a point where the anxiety isn't quite as overwhelming as it was before okay. um but getting back to your original question you know we have a lot of measures in place we have six meals a day we have three meals and then three snacks a day that our clients eat with um the clinical staff myself included do they eat them right away what if they don't eat well, you know, if they don't eat, that's their call. We, we're like a voluntary facility. So okay. when the women come to us, nine times out of ten, they're very happy to be there. And they're very much determined and motivated to get recovery. Okay. So they commit to, to, to wanting to help. Yeah. They want help. Yeah. That's not to say that we don't get people who resistance. are... Resistance. Oh, yeah. There is lots of resistance sometimes. And okay. in that case, I think the best thing to do is just remind them of, of what spot they're in what position they're in and, and what their life looks like right now and and what it might look like if they don't work hard at, at achieving recovery right you know in in you know i see things every day and the reason i bring that up i remember i personally dated uh, a girl mm-hmm. for you know over a year that you know something things were not adding up there was something strange about the relationship i had no <laughs> idea what was going on and one day she said, you know, I'm going to tell you, I have this secret. And she told me that she's bulimic. Mm-hmm. And I was, I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, I, she went, she would go to malls. Okay. 
when I thought she was working, and she would go to the food court. Okay. And she would go to one place, and she would go to the next place, and she would go to the next place, and she would go to the next place. And she was a very well-known, very successful, attractive mm-hmm. model. Mm-hmm. And then she said, then she would go to the bathroom, and she would throw it all out. Yep. And she had been doing it for years. So once I found out she had this problem, I brought her to the team doctor, because at the time I was still playing sports for a living. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said that she needed to be admitted to the hospital because mm-hmm. her blood work was so bad. Oh, yeah. And she was not, her kidney numbers and mm-hmm. function and liver, everything was off. Yeah. And they said, look, this girl, very young, probably 23, 24 years old, was in danger. Mm-hmm. And um, the she started to get help. Mm-hmm. Um, treatment, therapy, work with someone. And I remember one day she said... Uh, you know, I don't want to go to this therapy session. And I said, you kind of have to go. I mean, this is important for you to commit to it. She said, no, I don't want to go anymore. I said, uh-huh. what do you mean you don't want to go anymore? She says, well, if you think about it, I make good money. Uh-huh. I'm a model. I have a good job. I have good friends. I love my life. I love the way I look. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to change anything. I'm very happy. Okay. And I was shocked to hear that. <laughs> yeah. She, that doesn't, yeah. yeah. It was not actually normal behavior, but she thought it was. Mm-hmm. So. That's like know, back to the functional. Right. Eating she was disorder. functional. Mm-hmm. You know, and. It was pretty sad to watch, but the reason I bring that story up, I was in that relationship for over a year, mm-hmm. and I like to claim myself to be a very perceptive individual. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea. Everyone says, oh, I would know. No, I have you to agree. You wouldn't know. You I, would not know. No. I have to agree with you. You, I, you are a perceptive person. You're, you're very good at reading people, um, but it's like... There's so much more to it, and, and these girls, these these people who struggle with this, they can keep a secret. Oh yeah, and it's shameful for them to kind of let out in any way. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that you were dating her for like, over a year, and there was just no way you could have known. You yeah. know what I mean? And a I, lot of people don't know. Really, I had no idea. And and also, I'll say this: I see, you know, couples or and it's look. I'm not. We talked about this before we went on the air. I asked Lexi. I said, you know. I don't want to claim to be an expert, but when I see certain individuals walk into a fitness facility, walk into our facility, I know automatically. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, I feel like you're like either not delusional is not the word, but you're not paying attention because no one really looks like that naturally. Right. You know, they're they're incredibly deprived of essential nutrients and mm-hmm. you know just vitamins and minerals and the things that the body needs to live live optimally yeah and you know the only thing i can't help but think hey that was like me yeah like the couple walked in and the guy's probably thinking hey my girl looks great uh-huh. she's not fat <laughs> and i'm thinking no she's not she's on the other end of the spectrum when she's suffering yeah and they have no idea yeah you know? It's like kind of like what I said to you, like you said before we were on the <coughs> air, um, that it's so funny because before I started working actually with eating disorders and kind of like specializing in this area, that I I probably would have been one of those people that was like, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Now that I work with it and now that I see it every day, it's like, it's like I could smell it. It's like I see it. I can smell it on somebody and you can just tell there's something about them. And it's like I was telling you before, you know, little things like... Sometimes when you notice if someone has 
peach fuzz on their arm. It's mm-hmm. called Lugo, and it's essentially the body's way, and that's if you're malnourished, and that's the right. body's way of producing a layer to keep you warm because your body's not holding in that heat. Right. And, I mean, certain... Fl- flush cheeks. Flush cheeks, right. Um, I mean, just obviously looking malnourished right. um, and looking kind of... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Kind gaunt. Of, yeah, gaunt in the face. Um, veins sometimes. You can see the veins. Veiny. Yeah. Um, just yeah. no. I mean, they, if someone's walking around and you ask them if they're a competitor and they're not a competitor and that's mm-hmm. just the way they look, mm-hmm. either they have a serious, serious mm-hmm. medical issue or they're incredibly deprived. It's one or the other. Right. I'm sorry. No, you're right. And I want to be careful in saying that sometimes it is really obvious. And then sometimes it's not kind of like your girlfriend who you dated for a year. Where, yeah, it wasn't obvious at all. Right. Like and the people for who who suffer with bulimia and sometimes eating disorder, you'd never know. They look healthy. They look happy. There's more going on there. Yeah. And, you know, I've always thought this. And, and after my experience with this, uh, this girl um, many, many years ago, over a decade ago, I realized, and correct me if I'm wrong, because mm-hmm. I've always had this assumption that it has very little to do with food. It has nothing <laughs> to do with food. It, it's all about control. And maybe that they, this is probably the only thing that they feel that they could have control of in their life. Mm-hmm. People think they have a fear of food and where there's usually something deep-rooted. Is that correct? Yeah, you're pretty much hitting the nail on the head there. Okay. I mean, it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to think of it as kind of like, and this is going to sound so silly, but like a perfect storm. Honestly, there's no one thing that makes an eating disorder an eating disorder. So right. a trauma can certainly have an impact on somebody who then grows up and starts to have eating issues. Um, but it cannot be just that one trauma. There's got to be more to it. Um, you know, it, it's it's multiple things. It's sometimes it's genetic. You know, anxiety and depression play a big role in that. And sometimes just like how people suffer from substance abuse. Right. This right. is the way people are manifesting and coping with their anxiety and depression. It's just the vice right. that they're using. Right. And just like substance abuse and, and genetic or it's a family thing. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen kids that their fathers are alcoholics and they're alcoholics. Yeah. And I've also seen kids that uh me being one of them that you know the father does drugs and mm-hmm. you use it as a deterrent mm-hmm. and they absolutely don't touch it right but yeah. i let me let me ask you a question because i actually know someone that their child at four or five years old is not eating like they don't want to eat yeah does it start that young it could it could it certainly could i think that at that age it's it's not quite as deep rooted as it would be obviously years down the years down the way but i mean is this person not eating for are they expressing why they're not eating um they say the the child i think the child says that the stomach hurts or they just don't want to eat and there was a there was a thought that the child's esophagus or belly was inflamed but i don't know if that's the case okay and i know that there the mom might you know have uh, a bit of a bit of a struggle or a background okay and this it's looking like you almost don't want to admit that that's probably what it is but it's mm-hmm. looking so clear like this is possibly what it could be yeah it could be kids are sponges they i are. mean especially around that age three you said four or five mm. i mean 
whatever mommy's doing, I'm sure they're looking right. at that and picking up on right. that. I mean, I've also worked with children, like I mentioned before, in you know, my graduate work, and I was working with a kid who got really sick one time. He got a really bad flu, and he had to go to the hospital for it, and he had to get some medical procedures done. And from that, he had the trauma that if he ate, he was going to have to go to the bathroom, which is what his trauma was. And so it was really scary for him. So that wasn't even necessarily eating disorder related, but so it can happen like that. But it sounds like maybe this is a different situation where Mm -hmm. the girl is picking up maybe on some habits Mm -hmm. that mom has. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the, 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 we talked about signs to look for. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the help. Like it's so hard to help someone who doesn't want help. Yeah. But, you know, you can't walk over to every person who you think might have an eating disorder <laughs> or, hey, you need help, because that's yeah. not fair either. Like, you know, who am I? I'm not, you know, the, the person that should make judgment. But at the same time, have you ever approached someone who you thought might have an issue outside of work? Oh, that's a re- Yes, I have, yeah. actually. Yeah. And tell me about that situation and give me the backstory. Yeah. So let me just, let me just think about it. So, um... Yeah, I have I have a good friend who actually struggles a, a good deal with an eating disorder. Um, she wouldn't call it that. She would call it regular <laughs> eating. Right. Um, but being that I'm very familiar with this, I, I know what it looks like. Mm. And I know when it, it looks like just disordered eating here and there and an eating disorder. And it's very clearly an eating disorder. And so for me, what's difficult is that I see her kind of functioning and, you know, she's she does the same thing I do and mm-hmm. not in the same field, right. but she's a professional and she's very right. successful. Um, and she doesn't recognize it as, as a problem. Right. Um, so your question was what, how did I confront it yeah. essentially? Yeah. You know, my, my, my Magna method, my, yeah. my Magna method is to just be very direct. That's how I am in my therapeutic work. That's how I'm in my life. I like to be very transparent. I think that offers the most genuine and authentic, um, connection with somebody and I basically said look I can notice this on you I noticed that you're acting weird around this food when we go out you're not eating certain things mm. you want to only go to certain restaurants there's things that you want to do and you're and you're kind of curbing your life for these things mm-hmm. and well you know what's going on why don't you talk to me tell me what's happening with that because I'm not just going to call her out on it and then just leave it on the table there I want to follow up and know if she's okay you mm. know and I think that her response was essentially, yes, I'm fine. Uh, this is just how I like to eat. This is how I keep the body that I have. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with it. Right. And you know what? At the end of the day, I can't, I can't recommend that everybody go to treatment. If she's happy with her life, then she's happy with her life. But right. At some point, if she decides, hey, I need help, I'm all ears for her. You know, that. after hearing that story, you know, I was thinking as you are telling it, Okay, bodybuilders, they weigh their food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Athletes sometimes have to weigh their food to be very careful about the sometimes they have to restrict. Yeah. You know, if it's for a sport, let's say it's boxing or MMA and you have to mm. get down to a certain weight. I get it. But now I'm starting to think that everyone mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form has an eating disorder. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I mean... I, I, I mean, mean, that's not crazy to say. It's no. not, right? No, I mean, I mean... Everyone I watch, I mean, I know a guy, one of my best friends, I mean, the guy doesn't eat anything all day, then he eats like a truck driver at night, and he goes crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's probably not optimal. Yeah. You know, and, you know, is it a disorder? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, in the next day, they're going to work out for four hours. Right, 
Right. Uh, it's like you're trying to mm-hmm. rob Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't make any sense, if yeah. you will. But listen, I'm. It takes one to know one, and yeah. I've been like that my whole life. Mm-hmm. So, um, after fo- personally, after football ended for me, I was weighing 240, 250 pounds, mm-hmm. probably 250, 255. But <laughs> I was so fearful. Mm-hmm. Of becoming like all the other retired athletes who gain a bunch of weight. I was gonna say, what's that like? Yeah, who they're not okay. now. They're not. Let's say I'm practicing two hours a day. I'm lifting weights for an hour. I'm moving. I'm running. I'm active four or five hours a day, like mm-hmm. very intensely. Yeah. And football stops. Mm-hmm. You're not exercising at all, but you're still eating like a truck driver because you have the right. funds to do it, and you're a big guy. And so logically, what's gonna happen? Right. You mm-hmm. gain weight. You go from 255 to 265 to 270, and you wake up, you're 300 pounds. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, I used to be an athlete who could move, and now I'm just a big athlete who's out of shape and fat. Yeah. So I went from 255 to 188 pounds. Okay. And I looked like I was dying. I, even at one point, I had a friend say, what happened to your muscles? Wow. Because I was so pinned out, I lost everything. Yeah. And all I was doing was, look. Personally, I've told this story many times. Mm-hmm. I would wake up, I would swim for an hour, hour and a half. I would run four to five miles. I would lift weights for an hour. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, do some sort of exercise class, go home, have a salad with half of a chicken breast on it. Oh, wow, yeah. And then at night, I would do three hours of intense cardio. See, that sounds like an eating disorder. Of course. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, oh, no, this is okay. I just, I'm just very disciplined. Yeah. yeah. I'm very disciplined at an eating disorder. That's what it is. You <laughs> yeah. Know? So, yeah. You know, and I, it just takes one to know, and that's why when I hear these stories, and I, I'm like, yeah, I know all about that. I've lived yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And it, for me, it was, look, I better shed this. And it was also, for me, pers- it was an identity thing. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer the athlete, so I don't need to look like a 250-pound Spartan warrior. Right. You know, I right, need to yeah. look like a normal, everyday guy. You know? Right, absolutely. And I hadn't weighed 188 pounds since, God, I don't know, maybe freshman year of high school. I was going to say high school, yeah. Well, right. probably before that. But anyway. <laughs> You're a big guy, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm, you know, and it's, I see it a lot with athletes because that's my world. Yeah. And they absolutely. just, they yo yo. Mm-hmm. How much uh, discussion goes into sustainability and giving them the tools outside of the meals that they have there Mm. like is there a thought process that you try to implement yeah definitely so one of the biggest thought processes that we like to think of is and we get them tools you know we get them tools to manage their anxiety and their depression all of this is a result of the anxiety and the depression this is this is their coping Mm. you know what i mean to control the food to um either binge purge restrict or right any of the above, right? That is their tool. And so just like drugs, there's ways to learn how to cope with being sober. There's ways to cope with being not in an eating disorder, right? And so a lot of those tools can include a lot. We do a lot of relaxation. I do something that's personally called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's CBT for short. I love it. It's one of the um, modalities of therapy and it's wonderful. And it essentially says that your thoughts impact your emotions, your emotions impact your behaviors, and around it goes again, right? And so if you can change your thoughts and you can reframe them from negative to positive, then your emotions will change and then your behaviors will change, right? Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of, I mean, we have group therapy. They have three sessions, three group therapies every single day, 
um, around body image, how to think about body image. Um, you know, we go really deep in the, in the individual therapy and mm-hmm. we talk about what the origin is of okay. the eating disorder, right? And we talk a lot about we got to get to the root because if we know, you asked before, you know, where does it come from? And if we don't know where it comes from, if we're just dealing with the surface, we're not gonna fi- we're not gonna fix it. That's not sustainable. How challenging is it to extract the root of the of what's going on? The stuff. It's really. Yeah. Tough. I mean, hey, look, you know, sometimes I don't want to say it's tough with everybody. I have, and have had, some amazing women who come through the facility who are open books. Okay. And they're ready to talk about it. They're ready to say, hey, look, this is what I've been through. This is my story, mm-hmm. and this is why I struggle. Others, it takes a little bit more prying, right. you know, and a little right. bit more probing and saying. What is it? And that's, you know, that's what clinicians are trained to do is try to get to the root of the cause of the mm. situation and, and really understand why this is happening. Some women take a long time to trust. Right. To trust, I mean, women with eating disorders particularly are very just, you know, not trustful. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and you know what I always, always thought? You know, when I hear a, a man look at a woman and say, you look fat, oh. I think... You are not only the most insensitive, aloof individual I've ever met, <laughs> but you, and not, I'm not insinuating that someone might be too sensitive, but when you tell someone that, mm-hmm. you probably just scratch the surface of creating an eating disorder. Or if not, just dug the dig the hole deeper. Oh, right. Yeah, right. that's awful, yeah. However, conversely... Mm-hmm. I was with an individual, um, we were training, and a female walked over to us, and the gentleman I was training looked at her and said, you look fantastic. Mm. And she was emaciated, and it's well known to me that she had an eating disorder. And when he told her that, I was thinking, God, I wish you would not have said that, because now she thinks it's great. And if she loses that look, it's going to be just awful city right? right yeah absolutely and he was like i know i didn't know what else to say and i was, was he thinking, shocked by her appearance and that's what kind of what came out well he just i think he wanted to encourage her in a positive way yeah which it came from a good place but it was of just course. like man you just told her that it's reinforcement right <laughs> and i these are all things that happen day to day in the fitness world uh, one of these uh one a female individual spotted another individual who looked like her and she said look I know what you're doing and you need to be careful because this is very bad I've dealt with it my whole life Mm -hmm. and when she walked away the girl who gave the advice to the newbie so to speak yeah had a conversation with me she said Mark I screwed up because one of the things I did was I told her Mm -hmm. be careful and that's exactly what she wanted to hear because to her that meant success yes Right. It's like feeding into the eating disorder. It's right. colluding with it. Right. It's because if you can say you're sick, you're unhealthy, you don't look good, that's essentially saying you're succeeding right. at your eating disorder or um or whatever it is you're trying to get at. And you're like, yeah, good. Well, it's working. Right. You know. This is what I'm trying to achieve. Right. Exactly. So it's hard not to play into that, but to also be cautious on the same time and showing them that this isn't the right lifestyle. Like, see, what wasn't there at one point, or maybe there still is, mm-hmm. a community of people. I don't know if it's men and women or just girls, who have formed this like secret society about anorexia, 
online or oh, something like that, and I, they share I, their tips and tips tricks. and secrets <laughs> and how to do it. Have you heard of this? I, yeah, I unfortunately I have. I think it's awful. It's um, oh, you know what's the name of it? I think it's called. Uh, oh, I know. It's pro ana, so pro anorexia essentially. Wow. And I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily exclusive to anorexia. I think it can go across the board with all the eating disorders. Right. But yes, I have had clients who have told me, oh, I used to look at those websites and I used to find tricks about how to, you know, don't don't drink with your meals or or take small bites and eat slower because if you eat slower, then your body will recognize that you're fuller faster and you won't eat as much. Use smaller plates because the smaller plates make it look like you're not as hungry. It wow. registers with the brain. There's a Oof. lot of just kind of wonky facts Pretty in there. Deep. It is. And yeah. it's, there's a, I think there's a big community that does that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm mm-hmm. sure there is. I mean, again, it's getting to the little girls, too, and, and young men as well. Well, little girls, it, you know, men and little girls, I think that there's a lot. I think women have a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, men do as well, of course, to be big and jacked, to be manly. And mm-hmm. it's, but I think women, it's just, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. I just watch them. I watch family. I watch, uh, you know, my wife, my wife's friends, and I know, like, it's just not easy, you know, because you're always being sized up and looked at, and, yeah. oh, she looks great, or she looks like she put on weight. It's like, it's crazy. It is. You know, it's, it, you're being judged constantly, and I, it, listen, I know it is what it is. That's where we live in, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make it okay. Agreed. I think that it's tough because, like you said, I mean, the world is this cultural thing where we're always trying to look great, and the body type you know that we're supposed to look like it's it's hard for a lot of women mm. to achieve you know what i mean like the average body type is kind of like just average body type you know most people don't look like kate moss or giselle Boonjen, and they're stunning beautiful women but mm. they work really hard and do different things for their bodies and maybe not the healthy way i don't know if they do i'm not going online and saying that i don't know right. if they really no, I hear you, I hear you. but i think that it kind of puts pressure on the women and men like you said to be a certain type and at the end of the day, it's not realistic and it's not sustainable. Yeah, they could get there maybe, but I mean, I, I just I like that word sustainable. Yeah. Um. I've done you know a handful, of several magazine covers, and when people see that magazine cover, they say, "Hey, I want to look a young, let's say, a young kid, uh, 16, 17. He says, "Hey, I want to look like that." Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, you know, I look. I'm not exactly out of shape, but when I look like that, I had a very specific plan and intention to look like that for that one hour to take that shot. Yeah. And yeah, the I mean, the rip, the body fat, and to have the six pack and look great. I don't walk around like that. But people don't know that. Yeah, they don't know that, <laughs> and I, people kind of need to know that. I agree. Yeah. Like. It's not that guy. I remember that. I'll never forget. There's uh, in the fitness bodybuilding world. There's two shows. There's the Arnold in mm-hmm. uh, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, okay. and they have the Olympia in Vegas. I'll never forget. My wife was working for a company called BSN, and mm-hmm. then when I wasn't working for anyone at that time, I was just personal training in South Florida. And she mm-hmm. said, "You should come out and check out the show." Yeah. So of course I fly out there, <clears throat> check out the show. Hundred thousand people at the show, walking around at these booths, the expo. It's crazy, yeah. and uh, I remember seeing all the fitness, wellness celebrities, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, "Wow, that guy doesn't look that good. <laughs> that guy doesn't look that good. That guy put on weight. That guy doesn't look like he looked in the picture." And then it hit me, Mark. 
they only look like that for a few minutes. Yeah. And then it goes away. Yeah. So the word sustainable is very powerful in our world yeah. because is it sustainable? It's like the person who does two hours of cardio every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and it's absolutely When I was like working that. at a corporate wellness facility, I would come in early in the morning. It's 5 a.m. There's a clique of people, men and women in the gym, and they're all on the cardio machines, man. They're doing 45 minutes on the machines, and then <sighs> they leave. Mm-hmm. They come back in the evening. They're going to do another 45 minutes in the evening. After four or five months, I cross paths with them. And they say, Mark, you know, I'm killing it in the morning. I'm killing it at night. And I've gained like 10 pounds. I don't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And my thought, based on my education, is that you're putting your body under excessive amounts of stress. So cortisol is through the roof and cortisol helps you retain weight. So you're teaching your body to produce excessive cortisol. Mm-hmm. To hold on to weight, you're actually going against. Yeah, you're going attention. against it. It's the mm-hmm. worst thing to do. Yeah, it and they is. were like, "How can that be? I'm being more active." Mm-hmm. And I would always ask, "How do you feel after you you're done training?" Much like Mark felt after he did his eight hours of training when football ended. Mm-hmm. I couldn't keep my eyes open. Just I was dead. exhausted. Yeah, I, I was just I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I couldn't function. Mm-hmm. I was a a budding writer. I couldn't do any writing. Mm-hmm. It was just I didn't awful. know you were writing. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, it's not very good, but you know, <laughs> I'm still writing. Um, but it just totally took every ounce of energy in my body because I wasn't giving my body what it needs. Yeah. So, it wasn't sustainable. It, it wasn't. really wasn't. And I want to make a comment on something you said earlier, you know, regarding the word sustainable and saying that you saw these guys at this, the Arnold, I believe you said, right? And you're like, wow, they don't really look as good as I thought they would or mm-hmm. what what they look like in magazines or whatever it might be. And I was it's funny, I was just having a conversation with one of my clients and she was saying, essentially expressing body image distress. Why can't I look like this? This one looks like this all the time. And I, and I actually expressed to her, I said, you know, I just saw this picture online and it was this gorgeous girl and she's kind of like, just like posed up a little bit and she's in her bikini and she looks really pretty and she's posing and she looks great. And then she took the same picture, but she was sitting down. And you can see that she has, obviously, a belly because she's a human being and everyone has a belly. And it was the same woman in the Mm. same time frame, like literally like seconds later. And her body looked very different and that's not as good and i i love it because i think that that body's changed some days i wake up and i'm like i look great and then some days i wake up and i'm like eh, today's not my day yeah like and that's just life and for take take the picture again i don't like that angle what do you say how long have you heard that please take the picture again i don't like that i don't like the way i look i've done it I've done it. Yeah. I'm one of the worst offenders. If I don't like the way I look, I'm yeah. going to tell you I don't you like know, it. You know who loves, who has a funny joke about that is is Nicole. She always says, someone takes a picture. As soon as they snap it, before she even looks at it, she goes, I hate it, delete it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> but true. It's, you know, like it's women always want to retake it. I mean, you don't even get to really enjoy the picture yeah. and the photograph for what it is. I actually ran a group, a therapy group, not that long ago in taking pictures and going back to the reason for it. And the reason for it is to hold on to a memory. It's not like that anymore. Now it's the body check. Mm. Do you look good? I mean, how often do you go look at your camera and you don't look at anybody else but yourself? I mean, you're looking at it's a memory you're trying to create. Right. It's not really there anymore. You're not really caring about that. Yeah. Along those lines, how many people are actually happy with the way they look? When they're sick? Ever. Oh, how, yeah. How are you happy with the way they look? Yeah. I will say, I, I'm happy with the way they <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I practice. You're the one. I am the, I am the unicorn. Um, yeah. I practice 
I practice a lot of body positivity. And right. How do you practice that? I think that'd be great for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think that recognizing those standards as being unrealistic is a big one for me. Like I just said, you know, not going on Instagram necessarily and seeing all the girls that look so thin and so perfect, recognizing that they don't always look like that. And that's okay. They look fantastic when they do, and but they also could be leading normal lives. Remembering that your body needs a certain things that even though your body might not have the flat belly that you want or you know maybe the big butt that you want you still have a body that's capable of doing different things like right. i'm you know we have a lot of women who are very um let's say your thighs you know they're very nervous about their thighs i think they're too big they touch that's one of these things they, they, if the thighs touch it's like they can't touch you know the thighs touch <laughs> you know it's funny because i Pulled a picture out of a magazine of a girl who weighed 200 pounds and was probably about five foot seven, five eight, and she was a big girl. Mm-hmm. Her thighs weren't touching. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Her thighs weren't touching, and I said, you know, that's called her genetic build. Yeah, I'm so happy yeah, you said that. Yeah, that has nothing to do with yeah. weight. Yeah. And you know how many times a woman I've gotten into a consulting room, we've done the one on one, and we do the Q and A, and I'm putting through their assessment, and they say. I don't want my thighs to touch. Oh. And I think, what do you weigh? And they say, well, I weigh 138 pounds. What do you want to weigh? I want to weigh 115. I say, when you weigh 115, your thighs are still going to touch. Yeah. <laughs> how mean, can that's... that be? I mean, it's, look at your body. They're mm-hmm. touching now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your your weight will drop collectively all over your body, but your thighs will still touch. You said it perfectly. It's, a, it's the genetic thumbprint. Yeah. And you know what? I've come a long way since I was younger because I, I can't ever say that I you know body image stuff didn't didn't distress me because I think for everyone it does at some point of like course, you said. Of course. Um but I've come to really appreciate different body shapes and sizes and I think that and I'm not just saying this to, you know, kinda of sound hippy dippy, I really do think that women and men in all different shapes and sizes are great and everyone has something different to attribute it's to me it's more about personality and what you have to offer the world um as opposed to exactly what you look like Mm -hmm. you know um but i do you ask me how do i practice that positivity positivity uh, and body image and it's really just recognizing that there's unrealistic expectations and standards and it doesn't always have to be met like that Right. I remember a story I heard a while back, and I actually shared this with my team here. There was a teacher in college, and he handed out a piece of paper to every student in the class. Have you heard this? No. And on the piece of paper, there was one small black dot in the middle of the paper. Okay. Still never heard this? You told me this yeah. before? Yeah. No, I, I shared it with my team here. Oh, okay. Um, and after he handed it out to 30-plus students, he said, I want everyone to write down what they see on this paper. Okay. Every single student chose to write about the black dot on the paper. Okay. What it is, what it symbolizes, how big it was. Not one student, and the black dot was so small on this mm. large piece of white paper. Right. He said, it's interesting how everyone in this classroom decided to focus on that little black dot mm-hmm. and not the rest of the white paper. So each student focused on the one little thing they were fixated on (laughs) not all the other positive things that was the analogy you have so many wonderful things why do you obsess about that one little detail yeah and it was a great lesson that i'll never forget i mean there's so many wonderful things that each person offers with their body their mind their personality their energy the Mm -hmm. positivity and they focus on the fact that 
they have a little bit of fat in the back of their arms. Yeah. Hey, listen, you want to change that? I'm all about it. I'm the same way. I want to change a lot of things about my body. But if you obsess about them and it takes from your quality of life. That's what it is, yeah. That's a problem. You know, Mark, I just watched a really cool TED Talk, and it was exactly about what you just said. I love that story. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but it's a great method, a great idea, you know? And I just watched this TED Talk, and essentially what the lady was saying was that we give so much emphasis to the... Was she a former model? No, I don't think so. Oh, because a model gave a story Something that you that. saw. Okay, Similar yeah, to this? Good, yeah. She was talking about... No, she was, a, she was a therapist, I believe. Okay. And she was saying how she writes papers, and if one of them gets published or someone really likes it, and she gets a compliment, she's got, she's got this baseline, right? So imagine just kind of like a straight line, and someone says, oh, you did a great job at your paper, or it's published. She goes up, and then she stays up for about a second, and then right after lunch, she comes right back down to baseline, right? Now, same day, same baseline something bad happens maybe someone gives her some negative feedback right. or whatever it might be she goes down but unlike the positive comment she stays down and she stays down for how long days maybe wow and so i kind of talked to a lot of the women that i work with about this and said why do the negative things get all why do they deserve all the attention why don't we allow the positive things to have the right. attention too they're just as worthy if not more right i saw i think we call it a meme now on instagram that said you wouldn't allow an intruder into your home. Why would you allow negative thoughts into your mind? Yeah, I like you that. Know? That's so, cool. I mean, it's not, I'm not insinuating for a second that it's easy. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. I've dealt with it my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I go to speak at schools, when I, uh, colleges, high schools, middle schools. Kids go, yeah, but you were a professional athlete. Look at you. Mm. And I always, I always, I almost lost the signal there. I always say, look, guys, I didn't grow up like this. I grew up as a chubby, fat little kid. Did you? Yeah, I'll show you pictures right now (laughs) on my phone. And my grandmother would take me for walks all over the city as soon as we woke up. And she would reward me with a candy bar. It's the only reason I went in the walk. (laughs) I was a Twix guy. And... um, Personally, I'm a Snickers yeah. lady. Snickers mm-hmm. is not bad at all. They're strong. <laughs> yeah. um, but I grew up in an Italian family, and it was pasta, pasta, pasta. As much as I loved it, I mean, you. I, at one point, I was like, before I even got to middle school, I was 196 pounds. Mm. And I wasn't very tall. Okay. <clears throat> Later on, I hit a growth spurt, and I'll thank God. But I actually had to watch what I eat as a kid because it was getting out of hand. And I know what it's like to be that kid who is not happy with the way he looks. Yeah. And kids, if you don't know, they're brutal. Oh, they I'm familiar. They are brutal. <laughs> Middle school's the worst. Oh, my God. I do not wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> so, I agree. you know, I, I, I get concerned for kids and the peer pressure for kids and other systems set up. Are, are you guys dealing with kids as well now? No, we don't work with... I mean, we have an adolescent program it's called clementine but we okay. work with with women or you know young ladies who are anywhere between 12 to 18 and by 18 that's when they're adults and they would go to the adult comprehensive programming okay but i mean not young kids not anywhere around like seven or eight okay. or anything like that i'm thinking of like the mean girl kids Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, we have some of those. But what's funny is that you were just saying that story about you being a chubby little kid. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at you, and I'm saying, no, obviously, he's got a great physique, you know. Yeah. 
And this is the thought that people have is that, oh, well, if you're great looking now, you must have never struggled. Exactly. And so that's a really, if I'm having this, this oh, idea yeah. and I can understand that it's obviously deeper than that and you've gone through your own struggle. Oh like, yeah. It needs to be, it needs to be out there. Yeah. And, and kids don't understand. I mean, the, my de- discipline and determination stems from ridicule and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh yeah. A million sure. percent. And, um, I, I can only imagine I was fortunate because I had a lot of people to push me in the right direction and say, look, gravitate to the weight room, to the track, start playing sports, start moving. And I was like, you know what? I want to do those things because they made me feel good about myself Mm -hmm. and they helped me a great deal. But what about the kids who don't have the tenacity or the focus or drive to do those things? What happens to them? You yeah, know? they could gravitate to the wrong thing. Yeah, I drugs, have to alcohol, whatever it may eating be. disorder. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and and Mark, I know you've met my sister before, and then this is kind of a, a cool little story. And this, as a side note, is that you had people pushing you in the right direction. My sister, my older sister, who I just simply adore, she had an eating disorder growing up. I hope mm-hmm. she's okay with me saying this. I didn't ask, but mm-hmm. I'm sure she's fine. Um, she had an eating disorder when we were in high school and she struggled with anorexia for a long time. Mom and dad found out and mom and dad confronted her about it because obviously out of concern, they were incredibly worried. And so what did she do? Probably the same thing any other 16 year old would do is eat in front of my parents and then go and purge it later. Right. right? And that's what happens to a lot of women is the eating disorders morph over time as you know, maybe there's more parameters put in place. Okay. And so anyway, the point of the story is that she struggled with it for some time and and throughout college even. And she had the help of my mother and my father just being extremely loving. She had it, Support, right. And and she was able, like you were able, to channel it in the right direction. And actually, she's she's doing great now. And she's she's very much into yoga. She's very much into fitness. But she lives a very happy life. Balanced life. Yeah, she lives a balanced life. And she, I mean again does she struggle with any of the things that anyone would struggle with myself as well yeah for sure she's human but i think that she was able to channel her struggles in the right way and for her that was yoga and meditation for you it was fitness you know and so if you can channel it i think that's a great a great outlet right some people don't have that support you're talking about how often are parents able i'm looking i'm not being rude here i'm trying to scroll through my phone as Mm -hmm. we discuss this and find one of my pictures from uh, youth. Oh, I would love to see this. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to show you. How often do parents come in and say, look, there's something going on with my child? Is that often? All the time. I mean, I work with parents just as much as I work with their their kids. Okay. I mean, an eating disorder, just like substance abuse, is a family thing. It's If if you're part of a family. It touches everyone, right? It touches everyone, right. I mean, if you have a daughter, a niece, a cousin, a nephew... um, a mother, anybody who struggles with this, it's going to affect you in big ways because you're going to see your loved one struggling. Right. So it's going to affect you no matter what. Um, it touches everyone. There's it a lot of uh, branches to that tree. So many, so many. And yeah. a lot of the work that we do, because we have family therapy once a week, and one of our big things is that we want to incorporate that because we want to treat the disorder very comprehensively and thoroughly, and that means reaching out to the family in the ways that they can support them. And, you know, maybe some things that are helpful to steer clear from. Maybe negative comments about bodies, negative comments about eating certain ways and doing certain things and how they can support them and keeping them accountable. So do you see a lot of younger girls come out of it? Or is it hard to break at that young age? 
What do you mean as far as... Meaning like a kid in middle school that's struggling with an eating disorder. I mean, I don't need a a percentage, but Mm -hmm. how often are they helped and how often do they improve their quality of life? Yeah. I mean, often there's a lot of women who go and seek treatment and, and get better. There's women who, or men as well, who have an eating disorder and though they don't necessarily even need that type of treatment but they definitely do have um but they come through they they get through it um whether that be through maybe therapy or just support with their family and and loved ones um but i think a lot of women do do make a lot of progress i mean if the right tools are used you know right um accountability Okay, the bottom right i probably weigh 200 pounds and i'm not even in sixth grade yet okay let's see Bottom right. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Yeah, she's it's laughing. So... She's probably laughing at the pink shirt. I'm, my that's... mother put me in as well. I'm laughing a little bit at the pink shirt and the the uh, what do they call it when you have the lanyard with the sunglasses? Oakley sunglasses <laughs> on a lanyard. I thought it, I thought I was cool. That is funny. That is a very pink shirt, yeah, it's Mark. A, it's a very pink <laughs> shirt. That was me basically getting. There's another picture of before me before middle school. Yeah, before middle school. This is yeah. me on the left. I remember being subconscious, self-conscious with the way I sat. Oh. Oh. It doesn't even look like you. I know, right? It doesn't even yeah. look like you. It's a different person. Is that why Is that why you're kind of sitting like... Yeah. Cause so I, I tell kids now, like I bring these pictures with me when I go to do speeches. Mm-hmm. And then I say, look, I was there. And they say, no, that's not true. That's not true. And then I went from that to a kid who lost just a ton of weight mm-hmm. and i'm gonna show you that picture and say i probably went from 200 pounds in well, let's say fifth grade mm-hmm. really fifth grade yeah to losing so much and this is me in uh my freshman year of high school we had 149 pounds oh, this is me on the, on the left okay oh my goodness yeah it's crazy yeah, you're right? string bean. <laughs> A streaming, <laughs> and then it, it honestly it was really all over the map. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so it's safe to say you you've had a lot of body. Oh yeah, a body. You know, tons. Lots of experience with all this. Oh, tons, and that's why when I see it now, and I see someone be incredibly, look. If any the people listening right now, if you're in the fitness wellness world, you're a bodybuilder, you're a fitness competitor, you just like to train. I firmly believe, and I always said this that. I feel like our industry is a safe haven mm-hmm. for people with disorders. It can be. Body dysmorphia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the restrictive eating, the calorie counter, the macro counter. Yeah. I'm counting my macros. Oh, mm-hmm. it sounds pretty lunatic to me. <laughs> I mean, you might be, you might say you're counting your macros, but that's code for I'm a bit out of my mind. Yeah. You know, and I know it takes one to know one because I, I've been, been like yeah. that my whole life. Yeah. So, okay. Why don't we, I know if I could keep you all night asking these questions. <laughs> Why don't we draw it to a little bit of a close here sure. and you tell me, you know, for the people who want to get help, mm-hmm. what can they do? What steps can they take? Obviously, go to your place, but what else can mm-hmm. they do? Give them some words of, uh, yeah, you know, uh, treatment, help. What can A they do? little insight. Mm. I think the first thing to do would be to really just speak out about it. Um, I think more people probably struggle with that, struggle with this than then you might know if you know you're listening to this and you're hearing anything that mark and i are saying and you're saying wow you know that that's kind of 
along my thought process and the path that I'm thinking of. Um, and I've struggled with that before, and I've had those thoughts. You know, I think that it's more common than people let on to be, right. to, to believe. And so I think the first thing is if you do need help is to talk about it with someone you trust. And that can be that could be a family member or a friend or just a loved one who you feel can trust with that information. And that's the first step. And then from there, you know, if you need treatment, if you feel like that's the best approach, if that's where you're at, if it's that, if you're struggling that much, mm-hmm. I think treatment's wonderful. It's not necessarily for everybody, but it's it's a wonderful approach. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. What if you have a friend mm-hmm. and you see something in another? It's like I can compare it to I'm a trainer mm-hmm. in the gym. Mm-hmm. I see someone doing something incredibly dangerous. People will say, hey, Mark, if you see someone not doing something right, do you go over to them? Mm-hmm. My first response is usually, I used to. Okay. Meaning, I was always that guy. I love to help people. Mm-hmm. Like, Look, I look at it like this. In certain settings in my life, a lot of people did not help me. Yeah. So I want to be the one to always help. But sometimes when I go over there to help, it blows up in my face. Why is that? Okay. They know what they're doing. Who are you? You don't know me. <laughs> it's it's me. been touchy. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And I always feel, you know what? I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I'm very careful. It's hard to help people who don't want to be helped, but I'm always open to helping people who want the help. Absolutely. But how do I know that? So yep. how if you're the friend or if you're uh, an acquaintance <clears throat> and you see something that and you see someone who's really gaunt, really, you know, frail, I mean, it just doesn't look healthy. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah, that's a good question, Mark. And I think that a lot of the time it's kind of like you don't know what's going on with that person. And, and, and I've been in that situation before where I've seen people who, who to my perception seem like they might be struggling with something right. and it's like do you go over do you talk to them what if they're dealing with something medical yeah and it's nothing along the lines of what i'm thinking but you know what i've done in that situation is it's all about the approach it's all about your um your delivery and tonality yeah and what i've what i've done before and thankfully i work at a place that gives me a lot of a lot of good training to be able to talk to women like this but i would say something you know if you're the friend or if you're someone who sees someone in, in public mm-hmm. hey look at you know i i don't want to make any assumptions coming out right there and saying i don't want to make any assumptions but i i know a little bit i know a thing or two about maybe you know eating disorders and what you're going through and i just want to let you know if you need help I'm here for you. Wow. You know, and, and again, people might people might take that in the wrong way. You know, I'm right. sure people will and do what you said and say, hey, I'm fine. I know what yeah. I'm doing. And if they do, then you know what? That's their prerogative. But yeah. at least you're kind of giving that that help that maybe yeah. they're maybe they're desperate to have that exactly. conversation. It's so touchy that, mm-hmm. you know, most people, I remember when I was working in a corporate wellness facility, a girl came in. She mm-hmm. probably weighed ninety pounds. Yeah. She would get in a treadmill and run for five hours. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Like she looked like she was gonna die. Yeah. And one time, my general manager walked over and said, "I'm sorry, but I can't allow you to run anymore." Wow. How'd she take that? Uh, why? <sighs> because you've been on the treadmill for two hours. Yeah. And I'm gonna make a judgment call and say that you don't look healthy enough to stay on that treadmill. Oh. And yeah. as you know. You know, you could talk about the legal thing and a person could get sued. And I remember the gentleman just saying, well, you know what? If she dies, it's on your watch. I'm going to get sued. Yeah. So I'm fine with her suing me for throwing her off a treadmill because mm-hmm. it's not going to happen on my watch. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I really appreciated that. Um, but it's so hard. It's so touchy. You don't want to assume. And, y- you know, y- 
although it might come from the right place, it's not always well received, as you said. It's not. It might not be, and, and they might be in the depths of right. it where they're thinking, you know, kind of in that moment where they're on that high and they're thinking, I look great, I look fine. Um, they're not going to want to receive that. But I right. think that some people might just need to hear that in that mm. moment or, or maybe are looking for that outlet for someone to ask them. Maybe no one's asked them before and they're right. just dying to talk about it and right. they can't find the appropriate time or person to, to express themselves. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, hey, and you know what? If it backfires, it backfires. You know that you're doing the right thing and if they don't take to it, they don't take to it. Mm-hmm. But at least you know that you can reach out to someone and, and being direct, I think, is, is the best way. You know what I mean? Right. Like I told you, my approach therapeutically, I'm very, I'm a direct person, I'm a transparent person, and you can read me like a book. And I think that kind of lends itself to being authentic. Right. Look, you've you give us so much information, so much knowledge. It's been an incredible hour and twenty minutes now. So I cannot thank you enough for dragging you over here after a long day. It's been a long time. Wow. And we did mess up several times at the beginning, but (laughs) our tech Randy will take care of that because he's amazing. Mm But um, really, if you want to talk about the facilities, plug anyone, now's the time. I really want you to do that. And, you know, if uh, who, let's say South Florida, Florida, mm-hmm. people all over the country, they're having a problem. Is there a 1-800 number? Is there um, yeah. your facility? Should they contact your facility? Give them some information. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a, an 800 number that you can call, and that's actually directly for OPC. And that number is 866-511-4325. And right from there, Mark, you'll be connected to an intake specialist. And they are so welcome and so loving. And they know that when you're calling, you're likely in a bad spot. Mm -hmm. You're not calling because you're having a great day. You're calling because you are self-defeated. And you are in a really vulnerable and raw position and saying, I need help. And so the people on the other end are really helpful with that. And trained to deal with this. Optimally trained. Crisis managers, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's terrific. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on for this hour, Lexi. It's been great. I know the listeners are going to really appreciate it. They may want you back for part two. I'd love that. One of the things I usually do is on social media put out questions and what types of questions you'd like me to ask the guests if I bring them back for a round two. Mm-hmm. So that's quite possible. Um, I would love that. I mean, look, yeah. Mark, you know me. I'm, I'm yeah. so open to this stuff. And this the eating disorder world and the eating disorder treatment is, is a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And if I can, if we can touch at least one person listening to this podcast, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm more than happy. I'm sure. I'd love to come back. Well, <coughs> excuse me, your advice and information was incredible. And I know that you generally do want to help people, mm-hmm. so that's great. And I just, you know, hope everyone listening takes the time to, you know, uh, take a good look at their habits and behaviors and, and try to just make a, come to a assessment of, is this taking away from the quality of my life or am yeah. I managing a disorder? Yeah. Because, um, like, it takes one to know one, and I struggle with yeah. this often, and... Um, I think it's going to be incredibly valuable for all of our listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me.